Um, so I'm going to do the reading first anyway, which is Ephesians uh, 4 and 1 to 6, which is here. Here we go. So it's entitled in the NIV, Unity and Maturity in the Body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the, worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, I shall uh, hand over to young Liam, who is, uh, Liam, he, he says it himself in a minute, but he is the uh, um, family worker and an elder at Ashford Kong. So uh, here he goes, hopefully. Enjoy. Morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Liam Maguire, and I'm the families worker and one of the elders at Ashford Congregational Church. And it's my delight and pleasure to bring you today's message on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Now, do keep your Bible open. Uh, I'll pray and then we'll get started. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the technology that makes it able uh, for me to bring this message uh, to my brothers and sisters at Staines Kong today. Uh, and Lord, I do pray that as we look at this passage, you would uh, open our eyes to see the things that you would have us see. Lord, that you would uh, speak through me to them. Uh, and Lord, that uh, you would be at work in our hearts to make us more like the Lord Jesus for having looked at this passage today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, nobody likes a hypocrite, do they? Uh, nobody likes it when somebody does, uh, says one thing and then does another. Uh, imagine as part of my sermon today, I um, talked about the dangers of uh, drinking too much. And then later on that evening, you saw me stumbling blind drunk out of the pub. And then you saw me again the next Sunday night and the next Sunday night and the next Sunday night. You might think, gosh, this guy's a complete phony. He says one thing and he does the other. I'm not going to listen to a word that he has to say. And that's exactly the problem. Nobody likes a hypocrite and nobody likes to listen to a hypocrite either. Paul understood the dangers of hypocrisy. If we say one thing and do another, what reason does anyone have to listen to our message? Perhaps that's why he begins chapter four by urging us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Paul's not saying that if we live a good life, God will save us. No, he's saying that we live the good life because God has saved us. In other words, how we live as believers flows out of what we believe that God has done for us. If our beliefs have no impact on our lives, then we're rightly open to the charge of hypocrisy, saying that we trust in Jesus, but denying him with our lifestyle. So important is this theme of salvation motivated life to Paul. He's going to spend the remaining chapters of Ephesians unpacking it for us. This morning, we're going to look at just one element of it, unity. And we'll see that it's not enough to say that we're all united in Christ. We have to live like it too. As we look at this passage together, Paul's going to show us that it's not enough to say we're all united in Christ. We have to live like it two. That unity works itself out in three ways. Number one, we're to be united in attitude. 
Number two, we're not to put our unity in danger. And number three, we're to have unity in faith. Let me say this again. Unity in attitude, verse two. Unity in danger, verse three. And unity in faith, verses three to six. Firstly, then, unity in attitude. The first thing Paul wants us to see is that we must be united in our attitude. And in verse two, he lists five virtues that are to control our attitude towards one another. They are humility, gentleness, patience, endurance or bearing with one another and love. Humility, gentleness, patience, endurance and love. At first glance, this seems like a random list of qualities, but there is more going on here than meets the eye. First of all, do you notice that all of these virtues are other-centred? The most obvious one being love. Love, by definition, is other-centred. It seeks to serve and sacrifice for the beloved. Humility requires us to think less about what others can do for us and more about what we can do for others. And it requires us to have a correct view of ourselves, not thinking of ourselves too highly, but also not thinking of ourselves too lowly either. Again, gentleness treats people with the respect that they deserve as people made in the image of God and rescued by the Lord Jesus. Gentleness doesn't try to manipulate others or bulldoze through its point of view. And of course, patience and endurance are other-centred too. They remind us that our brothers and sisters are like us, sinners saved by grace, over whom the Holy Spirit hangs a sign saying, attention, work in progress. Attention, work in progress. These virtues are essential to our unity because true unity can only be maintained when everyone is looking out for everyone else. The second thing I want us to notice is that these five virtues describe God's attitude too. Again, love is an obvious example. We've already seen in Ephesians how God loved us so much that he gave his son to save us and bring us into the new humanity he is creating in Jesus. But God is also gentle and patient with us when we sin, graciously forgiving us rather than condemning us. He doesn't give up on us, but he bears with us, enduring and helping us overcome our weaknesses. But God is also humble. Have you ever considered that before? His view of himself is absolutely perfect. He never thinks of himself more highly or more lowly than he ought. His view of himself is perfect. And of course, the Lord Jesus, Paul reminds us in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, is our example in how to act humbly, because the Lord Jesus humbled himself for us and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus thought more about what he could do for us than what we might do for him. And it's important that we don't miss this. This other-centred way of thinking, it doesn't come naturally to us. All too often, our default approach to others is selfish. We're interested in the people who interest us or might benefit us. If we want to pursue the unity of attitude that Paul describes here, we need these qualities to come supernaturally to us by being open to the work of the Holy Spirit within us. 
It won't be easy uh, because it will require us to be completely dependent on God's grace, but it will be worth it. And perhaps now more than ever, we need this other centred attitude. Because with all the difficulties of meeting physically, uh, we can get caught up in the events of our own lives uh, and just turn inwards and either forget or just not make an effort with others. Remember, just because you're turning up to a socially distanced church service on a Sunday uh, or logging in uh, on Zoom doesn't mean that we are living like we're all united in Jesus. So can I encourage you this week, pick up the phone, call somebody, text someone, meet up for a socially distanced walk together. Ask them how they're really doing and how you can be praying for them. Whatever it is, remember, it's not enough to say that we're all united in Christ. We have to live like it too. And we can only do that with the Lord's help to go the extra mile. Second, let's hit the pause button for a moment and think about how we sometimes put our Christian unity in danger. In verse two, we saw how unity depends on the right attitude. In the first verse of uh, first half of verse three, Paul tells us that unity requires right action. He says, do everything to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Notice something, and this is really important. Do you notice that Paul doesn't say, do everything to create unity? And he doesn't say, do everything to increase unity. Instead, Paul says, do everything to keep the unity of the spirit. Unity we already have through peace with God. It's something we need to protect. And if we need to protect it, that means that it can be damaged, maybe even broken, maybe even lost. Protecting the unity that is ours through Christ is the responsibility of every Christian. It's our responsibility to do everything in our power to safeguard this unity. Paul also says that it's only through remembering and reflecting on the bond of peace that exists with God and with one another through the death of Jesus that we'll be able to protect this peace and unity. One practical way of living that out is by responding correctly when a Christian does something that upsets us. For example, if someone's had a bit of a bad day and they're short with us, well, Proverbs chapter 12 verse 16 reminds us that the wise person overlooks an insult. In that situation, we protect church unity by simply being gracious and letting it go. Hey, they've had a bad day. Does it really matter? No, it doesn't. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let it go. But what about when it goes beyond an offhand comment? When we believe someone has really hurt us or sinned against us, what then? Jesus tells us what to do in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And yet, if we're honest, for tons of reasons, most of us probably hate the thought of doing that. And if that's you, and it's often me too, there's a good chance that rather than address the issues, we just ignore it or we just kind of bury it and pretend that it didn't happen. But burying a hurt and pretending it never happened 
is not the same as forgiving someone and being reconciled to them. In fact, it's about as effective as trying to bury toxic waste. You see, th there are two ways for a company to deal with toxic waste. Uh, the first way is to go through the correct processes at a waste disposal facility. The second is to just dig a big hole, push it all in, cover it over and walk away. The first option is time consuming. It's costly, but it's effective. The second option, just burying it, is quick, cheap, but ineffective and frankly dangerous. The problem is that buried waste eventually makes its way to the surface, and as it heads to the surface, it poisons everything it comes into contact with. Worse still, by the time the effects are felt, it's too late. The damage has already been done. In the same way, when we bury the issues we have with other Christians, on the surface, that feels like we've forgiven them. But really, we're only ignoring the sin they've committed against us. And like buried toxic waste, eventually that hurt begins to fester, we become bitter, and it affects every area of our lives. Uh, perhaps we become cynical and stop trusting other believers. Perhaps we stop reading the Bible and find it hard to pray for certain people. Maybe we speak badly of them, we gossip about them, or we ignore them, or we're just plain harsh with them, when really we need to speak to them one-to-one -one and address the issue with grace, patience, and gentleness, recognising our fault too in not coming to them sooner. In everything, we need to be trusting the Holy Spirit to restore the bond of peace and unity between us. Doing everything to keep the unity of the Spirit requires us to face up to the hurt others have caused us, instead of burying it and pretending like it never happened. It requires us to be willing to take the time and pay the cost to our comfort so that we can actually forgive and actually be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It will take time and it will be costly, but there's too much at stake for us to simply carry on like it never happened. It won't be easy, but as we've already seen, our Father is patient and loving, willing and able to provide all that we need to live in the unity he intends us to. Remember, it's not enough to say we're all united in Christ. We have to live like it too, even when we don't want to. Finally, unity of faith, verses 3 to 6. <clears throat> I, uh, I have a rather unusual hobby. Uh, it's a hobby that sometimes causes people to look at me in horror. Uh, other people are shocked and some are just downright disgusted. Uh, my hobby is that uh, I collect spiders. That's right, I absolutely love spiders. I have three on my desk in front of me and I have another one in the kitchen. My wife is a very understanding lady. Uh, a while ago, my love of spiders caused me to join an organisation called the British Arachnological Society, which is dedicated to the scientific study of spiders uh, and tarantulas. Now, um, the group itself is quite diverse. You have people who are professors in universities. You have uh, people who work in the field. You have amateurs just like me. You have men and women, old and young, people living here in the UK and people 
living abroad. Uh, but like all organisations, it doesn't matter how different our backgrounds are, there's a common thread that unites us all. And for the British Arachnological Society, that common thread is the belief that spiders should not be confined to the fires of hell forever, but rather are to be enjoyed and studied. That common thread idea is, is the same for the church. We might be a diverse supernatural community of people of all ages and backgrounds, uh, but we still have a strain of common beliefs that we share. In fact, this strain of common beliefs is even more important since they underpin our unity. This is the point Paul is making in verses three to six. Even a quick skim of these verses reveals this. Notice that seven times Paul uses the word one. Sometimes in the Bible, the word one is used to express unity, like uh, in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, where one flesh is used to describe the unity that exists between a man and a woman through marriage and sexual intimacy. But here, Paul uses one in a numerical way, as in only one. For example, there's only one church of which Stainskong and Ashkong are local expressions. There's only one Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who offers forgiveness to all who trust in him one true faith or confession about him. Jesus alone can save us from our sins. He alone is Lord. He alone can restore our relationship to God and one another. All Christians share in one and the same Holy Spirit through whom we all have access to the one Heavenly Father, who is the one and only ruler of all things. And on closer inspection, we also see hints of the Trinity in these verses, the fundamental Christian belief in one God who exists as three persons. The Father is God, the Son, the Lord Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet they are only ever one God. These basic beliefs that Paul states in Ephesians 4 verses 3 to 6 form the foundation of the Christian faith and with it the foundation of our unity in Jesus. Uh, in many ways the beliefs that Paul lists they're like the sticks uh, in the children's game of Kaplunk. Uh, maybe you know that game. Uh, in the game you have a, a tower that looks like this uh, and marbles in a hopper at the top uh, sitting on sticks. And the idea of the game is to pull out as many sticks as you can without the marbles falling. And of course, the game's called Kaplunk because that's the noise the marbles make when they hit the bottom. These core Christian beliefs are like those sticks. The more we remove, the more biblical Christianity begins to tumble through the gaps and our church unity along with it. So far from being dry and disconnected from life or even a source of division, uh, an understanding of basic Christian theology is practical, useful and even necessary not just for understanding what we believe and why, or be able to answer questions from unbelievers, but also for keeping the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, as Paul commands us to do here in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. 
And one of the best ways to get grounded in that theology is by joining and regularly attending a small group, a place where we can ask questions and apply these truths to our lives. Now, I get that that's hard at the moment. Video calls or groups of six wearing face masks are not the easiest way to talk about deep and personal things or, or even complex things like the Trinity. And especially if you've been sat at a computer all day or maybe wearing a face mask for part of the day or in and out of Zoom meetings at work. But maintaining unity often requires sacrificing our comfort and sacrifice drives us to the Lord for strength. So please, can I encourage you to make meeting with Christians to explore the Bible uh, together a top priority, not just during the pandemic, but every week. Our church unity really does depend on it. Now, I began by saying that uh, no one likes a hypocrite, and I think we can all agree that that's true. No one likes it when someone acts as if there's one rule for them and another for everyone else. No one likes it when somebody says one thing and then does the other. The anger at Dominic Cummings during the lockdown was a good example of that. Uh, whatever you think about what he did, his actions were seen to be hypocritical. The government telling the nation to do one thing, uh, and then maybe one of the most influential men in the government seemingly doing another. But people especially hate it when Christians act this way. When Christians act like there's one rule for them and another for everyone else. And we should hate it too, because it undermines the credibility of our message. It undermines the life transforming power of Jesus' death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. In Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6, we've seen already that hypocrisy has no place in the Christian church. Living a life worthy of the gospel is a vital part of our response to the gospel. It's the only possible response to the gospel. A response that requires us to believe and act like we really are united in Christ. A unity that is expressed in our other-centred attitude. An attitude that works to protect unity from the dangers of our sinful nature. A unity founded and built upon a common set of beliefs. Remember, it's not enough to say that we're all united in Christ. We have to act like it too. By the grace of God, let's seek to do just that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for what we have seen here in Ephesians chapter one, uh, chapter four, verses one to six. Father, would you help us uh, to live lives worthy of the gospel? We're unable to do it on our own. We're completely dependent upon your grace. Father, please, uh, we need your help. We cannot do it without you. Help us to have the right attitude. Help us to protect it from danger and help us to be grounded in the fundamentals of our faith that form the bedrock of this unity. Be with us, Lord, in all that we do uh, and say over the coming week uh, until we are back together again in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for letting me join you, if uh, virtually. Uh, it's an absolute delight to be able to serve uh, my brothers and sisters at Staines Kong in this way. Uh, if you... Um, listen to what I said today and you have any questions, you want to reach out to me, uh, you can do that. Feel free to send me an email. My email address is liam at aboutacc.com, liam at aboutacc.com. Whether you agree, disagree or have questions, uh, I would love to hear from you.
Uh, again, thank you so much for letting me join you and hopefully I'll see you all soon. God bless.